Hey everyone, Brett Stewart here. I just want to leave a message at the top of this jukebox roundtable to thank our sponsor, Plectone. That is P-L-E-C-T-O-N-E, and you can find them at Plectone.com. They create the double pulse guitar pick I've talked about a couple times here on the program. Essentially, it's two guitar picks that are connected by a soft coupler, allowing you to strike strings twice and independently. It's as if you're playing two picks at once. And if it sounds hard, it's not. It's just like playing a normal pick and you'll pick it right up. No pun intended. Uh, It is a wonderful pick. You should definitely check it out. If you go on Plectone's website, you can even bundle it with two different thicknesses and save a little bit of cash by doing so. Uh, Without Plectone and without sponsors like this, Shows like this would not be possible. It's a lot of work to do the jukebox every month. The 25th of every month is when we put out music. And the music program, in and of itself, is very hard work because we scour the internet for the very best of independent music from all around the world. But when we do these discussion segments and these jukebox roundtables and special reports and interviews, it requires scheduling and, and tech prep and show rundowns, and writing, and and research, and all these different things. And that happens because we have awesome sponsors like Plectone that allow us to put a little bit more time into doing shows like this. So, enjoy the roundtable for August of 2016. got the jukebox you're listening to the jukebox roundtable hosted by brett stewart release the energy to give us new form steam to take us to our next home seeds of life to start a new dawn catch your spirit and ride catch your spirit and ride catch your spirit Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jukebox Roundtable. We are recording this on August 9th, 2016. You will get it on August 11th. As always here on the Jukebox Roundtable, this is an extension of our main monthly program where we bring some guests on the show to talk music, talk shop, about everything musical, a bunch of different topics. I have three wonderful guests with me this evening, the first of which is a return guest, a friend of the show, Matt Stein. He was on our first Jukebox Roundtable a couple months ago. Uh, He's a longtime podcast host on a few different networks. He's on Blazing Caribou Studios, and he's also on Galactic Netcasts. On the former, he hosts MMA and Metal, Rounds and Breakdowns, and on the latter, he hosts the Podcast of Terror and Weird World Weekly. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, Matt. Thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to uh, musicians, peoples. Brandon's not a musician, but, you know. (laughs) And uh, speaking of Brandon, our next guest is Brandon Raymond. Uh, He is a host on the Eat Geek uh, Inked Geek Studios Network. I really have a hard time with that every time we're on air with you, Brandon. Um, IG, it'll be fine. Uh, the IGS Network. He hosts several programs on it. You host Sonics and Sabres, which is a personal favorite of mine, incorporates Star Wars and Doctor Who. Uh, he also hosts Mind of a Geek, the Syncast. That was awesome. 
all great shows. Uh, and you cover a pretty inc- incredible array of topics on your shows. You really do have quite a bit of diversity over there on Ink Geek Studio. So thanks for spending some time with us, Brandon. Yeah, it's all about quantity, not quality. Oh, well, there's plenty <laughs> to go around on Ink Geek. And then finally, we are joined by Dan Copy, who is a drummer for the band Reaping Osmo- Osmodia, right? Is that how I pronounce it? Asmodea. Asmodea, okay. Uh, with a new album coming out on Prosthetic Records called Impuritize. Uh, you are also a trick drum pedals artist, and for listeners who are not familiar with that, that is a high-end pedal that's operated out of Chicago, correct? Correct. All right, awesome. Now, I saw a video that Matt sent me, because Matt connected us with you, of you playing drums, and you're one hell of a drummer. <laughs> Uh, so you. you guys are going on national tour, right? No, or, or not, you're going on a headlining tour, right? Yeah, we're going out for, uh, it's just a short, like week and a half run, uh, next week actually. Okay, great. So where are you guys going to be? Uh, we got a handful of shows in the Midwest and we'll be out on the East coast. Uh, a couple shows in New Jersey and Maryland, a couple other places. Very cool. So if uh, people, if listeners want to get a list of uh, where you're going and when, where can they find that? Uh, they can find that on any of our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, uh, or com. All right. So help you find all that information. Great. Well, I will put a link to that in the show notes so it's easy for you guys to get a hold of uh, if you guys want to go check out that band. They're going on tour. All right. So uh, just a little housekeeping before we get started with the show. I want to mention again that uh, anyone who hops on iTunes to review both the Jukebox and the Jukebox Roundtable, they're on the same RSS feed. Uh, That's been immensely helpful along with the emails we've been getting in from listeners. Again, you can always email us in at jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, those are always really appreciated. We've been getting lots of wonderful feedback. I always love hearing from fans of the show. Uh, A previous roundtable came out about two weeks ago where we talk all about Kanye West. Like him or hate him, we get into that in great depth. So if you want to check that out, that's on the feed right now as well. And the final thing I wanted to mention before we get started with the show is the submission guidelines. If you are an independent artist or band who would like to submit music to the main program where we play about two hours of music every month, Uh, please check those submission guidelines on the website. It tells you exactly how to do that. We've had a couple artists who are not following those, and when you don't follow them, they go through our spam filter because we get so much crap on that email. So it really helps us if you guys check those out on the website. And let's get started with the news discussions. Okay, Uh, so I want to talk about a couple things in the news that are happening right now. The first I want to talk about is... Frank Ocean, who is a popular uh, R&B artist, uh, previously released an album three years ago called Channel Orange. It won a couple Grammys. It was a big success for this guy. He's releasing an album called Boys Don't Cry, and he's been releasing it now for over a year. Uh, On his website, there's a pretty unapologetic due date card. Uh, that shows it was originally slated for July 2nd of 2015, and then it went down and down and down and down, and we added more and more dates. So we don't really know when we're going to get this, if at all. Um, Okay, so anyway, what I wanted to talk about about this Frank Ocean release, the reason that the podcast just cut a bit is because he has a loud hissing sound on his website for no reason, is that 
This is arguably the most anticipated music release of any genre of the entirety of this year. This has become a phenomenon. You can't go on Rolling Stone. You can't go on Pitchfork. You can't go on Mojo Magazine without seeing 20 posts about how Frank Ocean is teasing his new album. He's putting out videos. He's changing the name of the album. He's doing kind of Kanye-esque things with it. And this has been an album that he has pushed back the release date on for over a year now, repeatedly and unapologetically. So I wanted to ask you guys, let's go to Matt and Dan first as musicians. How do you feel about an artist doing this kind of release where it's very surprise, it's very sudden, it kind of leads fans on, but maybe once it comes out, there might be some excitement because it's finally out? What do you guys think? It, it To me, it's, it's like the Cartman thing, you know, from South Park, where it's like, I'm going to buy... I'm gonna buy an amusement park, but only like one person can come in, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, and it's it's just like when people can't get it, they want it more. So I think that's he's building like a, a sort of tension by saying like, yeah, it's here, but it ain't here. It's putting the <laughs> on a pedestal. Um, <laughs> but with the, the the state of the music industry today and the the the, uh, the internet, you know, he can release it whenever the hell he wants as long as people are excited for it. That thing will blow up within a day. It's not like where it used to be where you'd have to say, the CD's coming out this day, and you have to go to a music store and buy it. No, it's just on the internet. It's it's readily available. So I think he's it's genius. Is it also kind of an a**hole move to his fans, though? move. Absolutely move. Yeah, because I, I like Frank Ocean. Uh, I appreciate the stuff he does. I think Channel Orange was a was a fine record. It was It deserved his accolades. But I feel like now he's taunting his fans because when he puts that library card on the website that shows how many times he has led them on, I could see that being frustrating to the fans. Uh, Dan, as a music artist who is going to be releasing music here soon, how do you feel about uh, sp- special surprise releases? Well, it's I guess it's, it's one thing to have a special su- or a surprise release. I guess like continually leading your fans on is a little bit different. I think that for me personally, that kind of coincides with the the idea that, I mean, I feel like people's attention spans are so minimal these days and it, it could work out. I mean, look how many people hate and love Kanye West. I absolutely hate him, (laughs) but people still listen to his music. So, I mean, it could go either way. I, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, since, you know, I'm Axl Rose and all, I mean, (laughs) look, Look at the look at the Guns N' Roses thing, though. I mean, look at that the Chinese democracy thing. I mean, that's a little more extremely, you know, 13 years waiting to put a record out. And then it just, you know, everyone's interest was just like, yeah, this is just going to be terrible. Yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's I think it could be frustrating the fans. Brandon, is this the kind of music that you would even listen to to begin with? Frank Ocean, probably. I'm is guessing think- not. No. No, definitely not. But I think to a point, he's only damning himself. If you look at Suicide Squad and movies like that, where the hype machine just goes and goes and goes, to a point, you're setting yourself up to fail. You're going to have that initial surge of everyone going to see it, but everybody hates it. You know, It's not going to be... Everybody's going to want it so bad, and they're just ultimately going to be let down. I think you make a good point. If this album sucks, that he that's hard to come back from. That's hard to come back after you've been teasing an album for a year and a half and pissing off your fans all along the way, and then it's not what they want it to be. And unfortunately, right. it could be a good album, but if it's not as good as 
people want it to be, mm-hmm. that's problematic for them. And you're right. That's what happened with Suicide Squad is they released the first trailer for that over a year before it came out, 13 months before it came out. And they drove that hype machine straight into a brick wall. And that was problematic for them. So I think that's a good point. Uh, is there a place for these kind of is the okay let me rephrase that is the music community going toward more of these releases we look at beyonce releasing her album lemonade on title with a music video we look at kanye releasing life of pablo 20 freaking times we look at uh frank ocean now who's doing something very peculiar uh i'm naming contemporary artists because i know these are Artist in the public conscious or Chance the Rapper from Chicago released his album entirely for free two months before it came out on any streaming service, which I was a huge proponent of. That's something that Matt and I talked about on the last uh, Jukebox Roundtable was releasing your music for free. Are the days gone where we just get an album release and uh, an album release date and it comes out? You Well, I, I think that you... It's a same thing. It's a good and a bad thing. You... You have to think outside of the box when you're an artist in any manner, not just in music. It's, you know, it's kind of around people's mentality and everything. You have to think outside of the box and how are you going to get someone's attention? Yeah. Right. You really have to do generate some, even if it's, you know, just the most asinine way of doing it. You know, any it's kind of that any publicity is good publicity kind of thing. Because he's definitely it's- making publicity for himself. I think yeah. it's about being versatile too. As times changed, attention spans were mentioned, right? So you really have to roll things and, you know, change is inevitable, I guess. Right. Yeah. I think we're going to see more of these releases. But on, on the flip side, I think you could still, if you're a good artist and your fans like you, I think a standard release date can still reap a lot of hype. Uh, for example, Wilco announced that they are releasing their new album in September, September 9th, a week from the day, a uh, month from the day, rather. And I'm a big Wilco fan. I love Wilco. Chicago loves Wilco. They're a Chicago band. And they don't need to drive that hype machine. They don't need to lure their fans into a bunch of weird marketing schemes or lure them into a bunch of release dates that don't end up occurring, like what Frank here is doing. They just said, hey, it's coming out. September 9th. You can pre-order it. We're Wilco. And the fact that they are Wilco and that we know that they're going to put out a good record is enough of a hype. They don't need that as a crutch, per se. But uh, you mentioned Wilco versus all these other artists from a different genre. Do you think there's something to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the uh, contemporary it, like urban hip-hop scenes are way more... Uh, they, I think they have more of an affinity for the surprise release, the I'm doing it only on title. You don't think that's awful. And we all agree it's awful, but they do it anyway. You don't think they need that? It's more about the hype versus the actual music. That's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw it out here. I love Kanye. I, I hate, I I really dislike him as a person, but I love his music. I think he puts out good stuff. I really do. (laughs) And, um, I mean, in music, you're only as good as your next single. And if you That's never true. put out your next single, you, you know, there's there's never a, an ability to let a bunch of people down. Right. Well, yeah. Well, for, Frank's on a pedestal right now. He has been since 2013. So for him, just ride that all the way to the till he's forced to release his next album, which I feel like inevitably some record exec has to make him do it. Right. Like they, these guys need to make the money off of it. Not if they're still making money off the last one. 
And how do you know that the album even exists? Have you heard anything off? That's of it? actually a wonderful point. We have not ah. heard anything off this album. We have a we have an album title. We have two different leaked track lists, both of which have been claimed false by the record label. Yeah. Uh, and we had a video, the loud video that was giving us hiss at the beginning of the show. That's on the homepage of his website. Is a video of like a bunch of like woodworking, um, like stuff that's like just like running. Uh, and everyone thought it was going to be a music video or an announcement, and it never was. It was just like woodworking. <laughs> so he's really messing with fans. Um, <laughs> and maybe, I mean, it's not maybe. It is all part of a grand marketing scheme. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's fair to the fan necessarily, because for me, what happened with Kanye's last album, Life of Pablo, he decided that he was only going to release it digitally on title. But before he decided that, he put a download available on his website that you could buy. So I bought it the night it came out and it charged my account twice. Uh, he double hit my account on a $20 album, which is kind of expensive for a digital download anyway. But uh, yeah. I mean, it was an 18 song album, but still kind of pricey. Uh, and it charged me twice, uh, held my funds for like three or four weeks, I think. And then eventually refunded them once Tile got hit with a class action because he decided later that evening that even though all of these people had already paid for it, he did not want to release those files. And then, of course, that led to the elephant in the room, which is piracy, which is Life of Pablo is now the most pirated album of all time. Uh, do you, what are your guys' thoughts on piracy? Do you think it helps uh, or do you think it's going to just encourage pirates to go out and get the album on a torrent if they can't get it from you easily? Uh, my stance, I've, I've pirated music for a long time. I always have. But mm-hmm. I also go to the shows and buy the shirts and, and give the band money directly versus an album sale where of the $10, the band sees $0.55 cents and then you got to split it five or six ways. Like, it, it's one thing if you buy the album versus stealing it, but it's another one where you go to the shows and you give them the money. I mean, I think Dan will be your best option to answer this question. Yeah, he's, Dan, he's, what are your thoughts it, as it. a as an uh, you know up and com- you're an up and coming band? You guys are going on tours. You got merchandise. You got an album coming out. Uh, how do you feel about this industry kind of perpetuating a cycle of piracy? I mean, there's it's tough. That's a tough question because with the way things are, you know, as an artist, you want people to have your music, but at the same time, if people aren't actually, you know, regardless of whether the band see any of that money or not, those numbers still matter. And I mean, I can't tell you, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, had a lot of relationships and friendships of, you know, with people and bands, big bands. And it's like knowing those numbers dictate you know, there's a lot of pressure on that. So if people aren't buying the records and everyone's pirating them, I mean, it, it's just a really tricky situation. That's a good point. You can't go gold if no one's buying the record. It doesn't really matter how much of that money is going toward you. You still can't get that plaque and you can't get on that chart. Yep. Well, the other Some thing with, with streaming is streaming doesn't count towards album sales. Yeah, you get revenue from it, but... You know it's how to minuscule. how to. It's oh so yeah, minuscule. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I eight years of this guy in the execution album playing on Spotify, and I think I just got twenty dollars. Yep. Oh yeah, I got my Rivers Rubin check last year. 
I got eleven dollars from streaming uh, of a year of nine different albums on Spotify. With the advent of streaming, though, that still has to be better than nothing, right? For you guys, I mean, yeah. I uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I you're talking to somebody that plays like you know extreme metal in a sense, and I'm not. You know, I know the demographic is smaller, but at the same time, it's those streaming sites like Spotify and a lot of stuff like that. It's it's tough when everyone has. You know, everyone's got a smartphone and everyone can use YouTube and Spotify and everything. It, it's, a, it's a tricky situation. Yeah, <laughs> really I mean, and on the flip side of that, there is a there is a light at the end of the streaming tunnel. And that is more people tend to get access to your music. I know for a fact that when I look at my numbers, I'm not making near as much as if I made if these people were downloading my music. But those numbers are way higher. At least I know more people are listening because it's accessible to them. And that's a double-edged sword because more of those people might come out to the shows, like Matt said. They might buy a T-shirt. They might buy an LP or a record or something like that or buy a ticket or, you know, what what have you. But you're not getting as much on the back end for the actual studio production, which is not necessarily the case if you look at music even 15 years ago. Uh, It was almost somewhat reversed to an extent. Uh, So, Brandon, how how do you consume your music? I'm just curious. How do you get it? Well, I will say for me as a fan, with the advent of streaming, that curtailed my album buying and my pirating completely. I don't do either of it, but um, I found a lot more music through streaming, given Spotify recommends, you know? Right. So now I go to a lot more shows than I used to. I just, last Wednesday, I went and saw the Felice Brothers, and that's a band I never would have found without Spotify. So I, I, you know, feet on the ground, Spotify has helped, but... Album sales for me are gone completely. That's fair. And actually, that is one of our uh, news topics. So I'm just going to jump right down to it because Brandon just offered me a great segue into it. And that is Spotify uh, Spotify is now launching a brand new feature that's going to be available here shortly called Release Radar. Uh, It's going to be an automatic playlist that comes out every Friday for Spotify users that looks at all of your user history, similar to Discover Weekly which is a playlist that comes out on Monday, and it's going to compile songs for you of recently released music within the last couple weeks that is relevant to your music listening, meaning if you're me, you're not going to get... Uh, I, I have I have immense appreciation for you guys do. I don't really listen to metal. So I, metal's probably not going to get into my playlist, but stuff like rock, stuff like folk is more likely to fill in that, whereas someone who's listening uh, to Matt's band or listening to Dan's band and listening to music like that, their music is going to get filled with more of that type of music. Uh, in contrast, they're not going to get re- new reggae music or anything like that. They're not going to get the new Kanye record. Um, so... Uh, Brandon, are you a Spotify user or what do you use to stream? No, Spotify exclusively. Is this something you're going to use? Yeah, I'll probably try it out for sure. How do you feel about an algorithm telling you what you might like with music? Do you, do you find that helpful to you? Because that's always a topic of contention is does Spotify know it best or do I? Oh, I know it best, but it can try. I'll try it. I'm open. Uh, yeah, I usually like to explore and find my own. Right. Do you, uh, uh, Matt, Dan, are you guys, would you guys like some sort of curated selection of new music coming out? Is that something that would interest you guys? Uh, I use, I use Spotify. 
Uh, I, I mean, I work at a desk every day, so all I do is listen to music, and I like to discover playlists to find new music, but the release radar makes more sense because I'm interested in new releases. Granted, I mean, one of the podcasts that I do is 50% on new music and talking about metal, and like new music um, excites me in an uncomfortable way to make that statement, but I get excited for new music. I get excited to consume new art, um, and I've been lucky enough to have friends like Axel over there who make music so I can, you know, I, I get really immerse myself in once in a while. So new music is a huge part of my life. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Is this something that are you, are you a subscriber of any streaming service? I am not. I, I'd like, I mean, I think it's a good, I think it would be a good option if I was, or for the people like, you know, Brandon and, and Matt and stuff, I think it would definitely be something that would be helpful. And I, wouldn't see why anyone would not want to at least see if you know it's going to suggest some stuff that you might not have known about before um i guess like my one thing with like the internet and as far as music goes is that you know you can kind of fall down that like the youtube hole right and it's just you can just sit and me and uh, a couple of the guys in my band were just talking about that how it's you just end up going over so many bands so quickly and it's you kind of don't give a lot of bands a chance you know because you kind of end up having so many so many thrown at you so easily and it's it, you end up having to be forced to be really critical about you know that one song you're hearing right away or, or that's a fair whatever. point because well, if you're uh you know on a youtube playlist and you have a hundred different things being thrown at you. If the first 30 seconds of that band's one song does not appeal to you, you may not give them a second thought ever again. And the, the nice thing with the Spotify discover playlists is if there is a song that I like, I can go in there and I can save the entire album and then I can go back and I can listen to the whole album once I've made it through the whole playlist. I mean, the thing's 75% junk, but yes, <laughs> you know, I, I found, I found the band, uh, slaughter to prevail on there. And, uh, what Angel Maker I think was a new one I found too. So I found a couple of really good bands just from them showing up on my Discover playlist. Right on. Well, I think that this is a good feature for Spotify to add. I think it offers something different than that Discover Weekly, and I like that's coming out on Fridays because that is our new industry-wide music release day. It's no longer Tuesday, which I don't understand why they switched that. But I digress. Um, a couple <laughs> other news announcements. Uh, we have a letter from artists including Taylor Swift, including Paul McCartney. Uh, They are urging Congress right now to make uh, reforms looking at the copyright laws for music that were introduced in the late 1990s. So this was an era when we did not have piracy, when we did not have uh, massive torrents, uh, where we did not have the interconnectivity of the web. Uh, The web was in its infancy. And what they are arguing and I'd love to get each of your take on this, is that in order for an artist to fight piracy, they have to do it themselves, and the torrent providers and Google and the search providers, they are not, uh, they, they have to comply, but they don't have to help. So what they're saying here is that, hey, Google, if someone types Paul McCartney new album free download torrent, don't give them the pirate bay. Just don't even give it to them. Uh, help us curtail piracy by actively removing those from results 
Uh, because the way it works right now is that if you see a website that's coming up, uh, coming up on Google search results that is a piracy or illegal or a leak, uh, they have to contact Google. And Paul McCartney, Taylor Swift, they have to go to Google and say, hey, Google, this is up. You need to take it down. Here's my intellectual property. Here's uh, my copyright on this. I am going to send you essentially a cease and desist that Google has to abide by. Uh, and then Google has to at some point take it down, usually through some sort of bureaucratic red tape process that takes a while. So what uh, McCartney and Taylor and all these other people are saying is help us actively curtail piracy by working with us and not just abiding by court orders, essentially. Uh, they're not really court orders, but more or less, it's the same idea. Uh, what do you guys think? For piracy, is this something where um, websites like Google should step into the fray and help these artists because it's a new generation and it's impossible for these artists to keep tabs of everything, of every leak, of every single uh, pirated website? I would say gone are the days of hitting record on your tape deck, but yeah, I don't think Google should block me from a website. That seems like an infringement of my personal freedom. If I want to break the law, I should be able to, right? Right, but that's saying like um, I'm going to walk into a bank and the, the bank is going to provide the gun to rob it. Like just by it, right. If if you really want to find a way to steal something, you'll talk to people. You'll find out. You'll you'll seek out the dark corners of the internet to find out how you can get something for free. Google. If you're googling how to steal something, you're you're already dumb. You know what I mean. So so saying Google shouldn't have to take that stuff down. It really, it really doesn't matter. I don't think it's going to stop people from pirating music. People who already pirate music are still nowhere to go. Well, this yeah. is just a, a sign on your lawn saying that you have a security system. Someone can still rob you, and you may or may not even have a security system, but it's a deterrent. So why don't you just go to the house next door that doesn't have a dog or a security system, right? It's just right. the idea of uh, Matt's is said very eloquently. You know, They're going to find it anyway. They're going to go on the internet. They're going to go on torrents. Um but one of the record producers in this NPR piece, which people can find online, I'll put it in the liner notes, is or not the liner notes, I'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> is one of these record producers said, you know, uh, it's an unreasonable expectation that I should have to take the time, chase people down all day when I should be running a business and making music. And this is a man where he had 11 people working for him in the 90s, and now he has two part-time employees in his studio. <clears throat> And now that says that's a whole I think that's a whole other issue personally, because studios as a whole are becoming slightly less relevant as more and more people can record at home. Uh, mm -hmm. But it does say some, he does make a good point. Like I shouldn't have to be chasing people down on piracy all day when Google can put something in. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about that, Dan? Uh, I, you know, it's tough because I'm like for me, I haven't. I haven't pirated a album myself in a really, really long time or movies or any of that stuff. And that's just because personally, it's just how I feel about things. I mean, if someone's wanting like all these artists, they, you know, I want people to have our music, you know, I'd rather have somebody take our music than not have it at all. But it's, it's just such a tricky situation mm -hmm. with the way you can you if you 
if you want to steal something on the internet, you can. And I don't think that necessarily that's going to, like Matt said, it's not going to change anything as far as if Google's doing anything or not. No, I, and I guess there's, uh, I should append my earlier statement about pirating music is I would pirate music when I didn't have money. Like now I work full time, I have money, I buy records. You know, if there's a CD I want, I'll buy it. I, I buy vinyl now, and that comes with digital downloads. And it, I, I don't have a need to, to steal music. Even if I didn't have Spotify, I would probably still buy music. Um, a little easier to find what you're looking for with yeah. streaming. You know, even the iTunes, um, the iTunes previews and stuff like that. You can you can find your music a little easier. But yeah, and and two things I would bring up to this that I think are interesting to talk about is a. Um, YouTube content ID. It's a storm. It doesn't work. Uh, YouTube, YouTube content ID has just been proven to just not work. They're taking down people who have, who have rights there to their content. They're taking down people who repost, who are the original poster, putting something back up after a major network pirated it from them. Uh, YouTube content ID is a, is a very flawed algorithm that YouTube was forced to put in after having a huge pressure put on them by the music industry in particular and some partially the film industry. And that really suffers. Um, that makes a lot of content creators suffer when they have to worry about the bane of content ID, uh, that something that they own and have rights to still might get taken down, uh, so, which could be problematic for people who make a living doing it. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, Corey, my co-host on podcast, it here does another podcast called the else nerds and they played like a 10 or a 12 second clip of a movie trailer and the youtube pulled it down and the the way that they yeah and the way that they release their podcast is that they record them to youtube and then they pull the audio off of that and then release that audio so they had to go to war with youtube to get youtube to give them the video back to release their episode and it was and that's completely no, fair use to have yep. 10, 15, 20 seconds of a publicly released movie trailer for mm-hmm. uh, critical critique. That is fair use. And that's the problem is that fair use has become a gray area for YouTube because one of the big problems with it is that you can go to war with YouTube. You can go and file a claim that says I have rights to this. But 99.5% and that's not me making that up. That was in an earlier NPR piece. Uh are settled by content ID in the favor of the content holder or the perceived content holder, which is problematic. Uh, I could see this happening with Google if Google was to take out piracy sites. Because here's an example. I am a member of a private torrent website, uh, meaning that you have to apply and uh, you have to keep certain seating ratios, all that mumbo jumbo. But it's not an illegal website. It only facilitates the release of um, soundboard recordings of artists who have authorized the release of soundboard recordings but have not put them out as official releases. And in fact, anything that is an official release in any capacity is taken down off this website. So the website's totally legal. But if you look at the website, it's a torrent website. They're all listed as torrents. Uh, If you don't know what it is and all you know is the word torrent is bad, you might think that it's illegal. And that might very well get pulled off a Google search result because, say, Bruce Springsteen goes to Google with this and says, hey, start pulling Bruce Springsteen torrents. Well, you've authorized your soundboard, Springsteen, meaning that all your torrents on this site are legal. Uh, But they might still get pulled. So I think this is a really weird area. And I don't know... I don't know who's at fault. I don't know if any. I mean, obviously, maybe the the people who pirate uh, heavily are perhaps at fault, uh, at least maybe in some moral ambiguity. But 
it's not really Google's problem to have to go and track all this down and create a system. And it's not really the user's problem because the users are creating content online that could just get flagged and get pulled down. And it's not really, I mean, it's the artist problem. Sure. But what are they going to do? I just, Mm. just, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I know that a lot of big names have signed this letter, but I don't know how you create good copyright reform in this way is do you guys have any suggestions would there is if broadly i mean obviously we're solving a massive issue and we have other things to get to but are there other ways to maybe curb piracy a little bit that aren't you know altering google results it's funny how much gray area there is still in this day and age of technology and just nobody knows how to handle it and like Matt's, I think if people want it, they're going to get it regardless. So what can yeah. we do in the long run? I yeah. guess if everyone releases consistently better music, there would be more of, uh, yeah. yeah. You know what? If band, and, and that's that's focused more towards um, top 40 type stuff. I mean, that's right. overproduced and someone else wrote it and it's garbage and, you know, it's the same four words for four and a half minutes. That um, is point what did you say brett that kanye's album is the most pirated ever most pirated album ever yeah wants to pay for the shit, man i want yeah, to pay yeah. for it i tried and i paid for it twice <laughs> you <laughs> paid you paid for it twice, twice. And then <laughs> you out of it right uh what he, you paid for it twice and then he screwed you out of it he did so yeah. yeah they held 40 bucks on my account for about a month and yeah, uh stick- but Man. yeah, this is a really good, this is an interesting thing. I want to see where it goes to throw out some other names. It's not just Taylor and Paul McCartney, Vince Gill, Vince Staples, Carol King. Is, she's alive still. Okay, fine. Um, Carol King's alive. Uh, Kings of Leon. A lot of people, Kings of Leon, they're still a thing too. Okay. Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but I digress. We're, lo- we're looking at a, re- a very weird Supreme Court case, I think, that could reach that level with enough big names pushing against this. Uh, moving on to some unrelated news, uh, I just want to throw some interesting anecdotes out there that I think are fascinating in the music scene this week. Uh, Game of Thrones is going on tour. If you want to go and see Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is going to be coming to auditoriums uh, and big giant theaters coming in 2017. They're going to be doing a trailer where uh, what they're going to be doing is like audio and visual. So you're going to have an orchestra. You're going to have big giant screens. Uh Kind of neat if you're a Game of Thrones fan. For me personally, what this looks like to me is something cool to get people to listen to classical music. And I like classical music and I want more people to listen to it and care about it and understand why it's cool. And the Game of Thrones soundtrack is with classical instruments, with an orchestra. So make it cool to go to. I think that's neat. Uh, Any thoughts on that? Well, Hodor did that rave tour. Yes, he did. Because Hodor's a trap DJ. Yeah. So I'm all for this, you know, get more people listening to orchestras because orchestras are, you know, increasingly less accessible. And uh, if you can, if Game of Thrones is what it takes to get people in seats, I'm cool with that. Is there anyone who would go and see this? Do we have any Game of, Game of Thrones fans oh, here? I would go check it out. I'd go and check I, it out, I, too. Too. So, I mean, I would definitely go see that show. I've been to two, two, two shows similar to this. I've been to the Zelda Symphony because I'm, I've always been a big Zelda fan my whole life. That's coming around again this year. That was exceptional. And I've also been to the Star Wars Symphony because I love Star Wars. And both of them did a great job. So if both this is cool... I would check out if they ever came to Maine, but they won't. Yeah. Well, this is 
This is cool. I think if people want to go and check this out, more power to them. I love that they're doing it. Moving on, uh, No Man's Sky uh, came out this week. It is the most anticipated, arguably uh, the most anticipated video game of 2016. Uh, The game is procedurally generated, meaning that you fly in your spaceship, you will find different worlds and different planets. There are 18 quadrillion planets in the game. They're all procedurally generated. What that means in layman's terms is that it re... uh, it reorganizes the game's assets to look different every single time you arrive on the planet. Uh, and in order to make a game like that, you have to have a lot of music, right, for for all these planets. So what No Man's Sky did is they got together with an electronic band and they said, hey, how can we procedurally generate music? So what the band did, and I want to give a shout out to these guys because it is really rad, uh, the production company's Hello Games and the band is called 65 days of static so you guys should check them out online they're producing some cool stuff and what they did was they recorded a bunch of different sounds and uh themes and and moods and they and they kind of did them in just disconjointed sessions and when you're playing the game it kind of creates its own soundtrack around you uh as the game creates worlds around you what do you guys think of that is that that's kind of crazy it's like a soundtrack that makes itself over time it's just a new way to to one up what we used to do. Yeah, uh, I, my I I'd be interested to see if it gets redundant because that Thank is. Thank you, problem. Matt. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. <laughs> um, I want to think it'll get redundant, but regardless, I can't wait to play that game. Yeah, me I'd neither. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating because the the problem with procedurally generated games is that yes, you have eighteen quintillion planets. But if you only have a couple thousand assets that are making them up, eventually you're just going to start seeing same things over and over again. So my question to them would be whether or not they can create music that is fresh and interesting continually. If they can do that, I think this is a huge feat. Um, And I really want to throw a shout out to 65 Days of Static. I think that's impressive. It also continues a revival in synthesized electronic music uh, that we saw earlier this summer with Stranger Things, the Netflix series. The uh, band that did the music for that has blown up, uh, and it's really interesting music. So uh, does anyone out here listen to anything electronic, anything with synthesizers, or no? No. No? Okay. So when we started this call, my girlfriend was just finishing the last episode of Stranger Things. I finished it the other night. Have you guys watched that? Yeah, it's a great show. So great. Yeah, Dan, uh, you need to watch it. It's worth your time. It's awesome. I, I know, I do. And I, uh, as a terrible. musician, you'll appreciate the music. I haven't even seen any Game of Thrones stuff. Oh, okay. So you're in the dark on terrible. these last two. Yeah, that those two shows. Yeah, like. Yeah, ask well, Matt, uh, he knows. I don't have any time. <laughs> I don't have any time to do any of that kind of stuff. It no, sucks. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, uh, I love the Stranger Things soundtrack because not only did they do a lot of interesting compositions for it, but they also jam-packed it with the 80s, um, which was really cool. A lot of really interesting music on that. Uh, So No Man's Sky, people, I would love to hear. I know we have a lot of gamers in the audience because we have crossover with Blazing Caribou and stuff. Send me an email if you're playing this game and you recognize the music. I'd love to hear if it's good, bad, if it enthralls you, if it sounds repetitive. Let us know. Uh, Moving on. Seattle. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, uh, with No Man's Sky, though, with it becoming redundant, if that's a possibility, don't you think through patches they could just expand on it? Oh and my expand? gosh, if they patch the music, that would be the coolest thing. It would be cool, right? I would love that. That's a great point. 
You guys are nerds. <laughs> uh, moving on. Places where us nerds may occupy. Public libraries. <laughs> Says um, the guy with the headset on. <laughs> hey, I do a lot of these. <laughs> well, public libraries, there is one more reason that you might want to give a about them still. They're still around. The Seattle Public Library is launching a new free music download streaming service. In order to get onto it, uh, you have to have a Seattle uh library card which you can register on their website for free and uh what they're going to be doing is they have 50 different seattle local artists that are giving their music to the platform to stream and download for free meaning that it's all local stuff it's all free stuff a free account meaning anyone not just in the seattle area can stream the music and to download it entirely for free you just have to have a seattle library account i think this is really rad if a band wants to give their music out for free if that's something that they are consciously making the decision to do and their local library wants to jam it all inside of this app that people can expose themselves to local bands i think this is going to make concert attendance in their area go way up you hope at least you would hope right but like uh, if i if I, they had this for chicago i would be all over it i would be all over them i'm already all over the, the city going to shows but i would be going to even more of them if i had a better outlet to find that music because that is still a struggle um, uh, how many let's go to the library but you don't need to go to the library though because it's all an app fortunately um at, at some point our libraries are just going to be a website right like Right. You don't need to go anymore. But it is neat. I'm really happy that they're doing this. Uh, any thoughts on this, guys? Yeah, absolutely. If the band, it's just more exposure for the bands that are going to be involved in it. So why not? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I and again, this is the opposite of piracy, right? This is a band coming to the to the library and saying, "Hey, help share our music." And uh, I would I would wonder if this will a extend to more libraries and b whether or not. The band has some control over how much they can download. Will the library give them stats? You know, I'll, if I put my music on this, I would love my local library to let me know once a quarter how many people downloaded my music. I think that'd be great. So we'll keep tabs on this on the Jukebox Roundtable because I think it's a cool idea. Moving on to our last news story, and then we'll do a short discussion. Uh, traction, that is uh, T-R-A-C-K, so track, uh, shin, is a free DAW, digital audio uh, workstation that for the last two years they have released the new versions of tracks track oh what's it called again traction for traction. free uh you can load your own plugins into it or you can also buy plugins from them but the base daw is free to use and the reason i wanted to throw this in our lineup is because a huge amount of the jukebox audience is musicians and i think that if you are just getting started because it is a simplistic daw it's not perfect but if you are just getting started and you're using GarageBand, you're using Audacity, you're using something really simple, you're using something maybe that your audio interface came with or something like that or your mixer came with. I know a lot of I know Cubase is installed on a lot of those things nowadays. This is a good opportunity to jump out of it because it's a $60 DAW and you get it entirely for free. So I would encourage people to download this. I think it's something uh, that is or interesting resource for musicians. Uh, Matt, what do you use to record? We talked about this before the show, but... Yeah, I use uh, Adobe Audition for podcasts, mm -hmm. but there's no ability to load VSTs, like we were mentioning. Right. So I actually have downloaded this so I can plug in an electronic drum set and record drum tracks that way. Yeah, I, that works. is a problem with Audition, is that Audition is a music production program, ultimately, not a 
no, sorry, an audio production program, not a music production program. So you can't really load virtual instruments that well. You can't really do MIDI at all. Um, so this is a great alternative for people. Uh, Dan, what do you guys use? What are you guys using to record your new album? Uh, well, we recorded everything in Pro Tools. I'm, okay. I'm lucky enough that two of the guys in the band are really well-established engineers mm-hmm. and my guitar player is learning too. So, and that'll be, I mean, I, I use reason for a lot of things, but I'll be, that'll be the next thing that, I, you know, I'm, I get more involved in that side of things as far as the production side of stuff. That's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, pro sure. tools is Something obviously the, too. the end of the, the end of the line, right? That is what professional studios are using or what your bandmates are using because they're trained in it. Uh, and then on the Mac side of that, there is logic. Logic is a lot cheaper than pro tools to some extent too, but it is not as, uh, equipped as pro tools, but yeah, uh, listeners out there, most of you are indie musicians. I know because that's the point of this podcast. Check it out. It, if it doesn't work, it's free. So who gives a <laughs> Okay. Um, want to do a couple closing discussions as we always do. Uh, we've already answered one of my questions here, which was, I wanted to ask you how you all consume your music now. If you buy digitally, if you buy physically for me, I buy an incredible amount of physical media. Still, I still buy CDs, believe it or not. I bought a Leonard Cohen CD set the, uh, the other day, $25, 10 CDs. How you can't beat that. Uh, cause I can, wow. I can burn all those at, you know, as flack files and, and get them at, you know, 700 kilobits a second. And that's amazing. Um, and that was on Amazon new. So I still buy a lot of physical stuff. I bought vinyl this morning. Um, it's my primary. I like to own my music. I like to be able to own physical media. I like to be able to then put that on iTunes, put that on Google Music, and I know it's never going to get taken away from me. That was my big conflict with Neil Young. Big Neil Young fan. He took all his music off streaming services. I had to go buy it all, which I did. So I like to buy music physically. Brandon, real quick, you, you basically said that you're primarily a streamer now, right? Yeah. And uh, no thoughts of ever going back to anything digital? I mean, physical? It depends on the on what it is. If I really, really like it, I'm going to have a physical copy of it. Okay. But again, there's a lot, of, a lot of local music that isn't streaming. In that case, I'm going to buy the album. Right on. Very good. What about you, Matt? Um, I do buy a bunch of vinyl. Uh, but it has to like be something that I really want. Like I got Thrice's Alchemy Index on vinyl, which I paid out my ass for, <laughs> but I wanted it. Um, and it has to be a pretty color. Right, like, right. Black. <laughs> well, <laughs> got to be Shut a up. shiny object. It does. Like I got the new Silent Planet vinyl, and it's like a green and white like blob, and it's just it's really badass to look at. The new Russian Circles is clear with a black splatter. They're just really cool to look at. It's like why not? You know, black yeah. vinyl's just boring. Oh, yeah, seems, like, you're not wrong. Whole new world for me. I didn't even know albums came like that. Vinyl yep. does, yep. yeah. I actually bought... I was at a record store last night, and I bought... So Mojo Magazine puts out a monthly album. Uh, typically, I don't care about them, but what they did was they had a bunch of artists come in and record uh, covers of Blonde on Blonde, and uh, then they put together a Blonde on Blonde tribute. And what they did is they printed some vinyl of it, and the vinyl's all blonde. And it came with some fantastic liner notes and stuff. And that's a big thing for me with vinyl is I love that it might come with a booklet. It might come with liner notes. I love to read who the backup vocalist was, who the you know second session drummer was. All these things I care about. I find them interesting. So I want them. Uh, and vinyl gives that to me. Uh, so, Dan, you're not a streamer. How do you get your music? I mean, I, I still buy a lot, a lot of CDs. I, 
I haven't gotten into the vinyl thing just because I have so many thousands of CDs. I feel like that's just another another thing to spend my money on. So I haven't really gotten into the vinyl. Okay. I have some I have some vinyl, but not a lot. But I do buy a lot of CDs. Very um, cool. Yeah, I was just I, curious. I'll I'll buy digitally if I have to, but I usually I like to you know, same way. I like to have it in my hands. I like to see everything. So unless an artist is only releasing something digitally, I usually always want to have the CD in my hand. Yeah, I, I always like to ask uh, um, guests that because I think it's interesting because we are in a place where everyone's consuming their music in a very different way, uh, whether it's digital or uh, physical or just a weird hybrid, um, which I think is fascinating because like Matt said, you buy you buy a, a vinyl record nowadays, which is the most analog form of audio, but it comes with a download card. So mm-hmm. you get the best of both words, worlds very often. Um, great. I wanted to ask about that because I thought that was interesting. Uh, next story I want to talk very briefly about is ticket reselling. And I'd love to hear Dan's thoughts on this because you are going out on tour here shortly. Uh, ticket selling has become a problem in a lot of major cities, especially uh, New York and Chicago here is a big problem because what happens is bots and ticket resellers hop into early pre-sales. They hop into uh, the early sales with with bots and they buy up all the tickets or as many of them as they can and then they jack them up on the secondary market. And this has always been a problem, but it's getting worse and worse as the bots get better and better. So uh, in New York, they finally passed laws to make it criminally illegal to use these bots uh, with the potential to get fined. So wonderful. I'm happy they're doing that. The big catalyst for that was oh, – what is his name? I should know his name. Uh, we're using the search. This is good podcasting here. Um, <laughs> his na- yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who wrote and created Hamilton. He's the guy who really pushed this because he wants people to be able to see Hamilton. But the problem was is that Hamilton tickets, when they were on Broadway, would be sold out in 10 seconds because the bots would get them. And then the tickets would go – 3000 4000 5000 more expensive than they were on the uh, service. And here in Chicago, that's been a problem too. I wanted to see Bob Dylan uh, when he came around here last month, and ticket sellers just sweep through and bought all the tickets. Uh, back row tickets in a relatively large pavilion. Back row tickets per seat would have cost me about 600 a seat. So I flew... It was Mother's Day weekend or or Father's Day weekend, and it was also my mother's birthday. So I flew back home to Denver, uh, took took my mother to see Bob Dylan at Red Rocks, and then flew home the next day. And all of that, my two-way flight and two tickets in the 20th row was about $300 less than if I had bought one ticket in the back row of Dylan here in Chicago. And that's because Chicago has a huge reselling problem uh dan what do you think of this as someone who's going on tour and hopefully in the future going on bigger tours well i yeah that's i'm glad that there's states that are doing that are passing these laws because didn't that matt didn't that happen with like the temple of temple of the dog shows and stuff like it Uh uh-huh they did it sold out in like three seconds and i know there's the same uh, thing happened with the faith no more shows didn't it Yep. Yeah, we wanted to go to Faith and More in Chicago, and we couldn't get yeah. tickets. Um, luckily, Nate knew people, and we could have gone. But uh, like Metallica next weekend out in Minneapolis, there's tickets going for fifty thousand dollars. 
yeah, it's insane. Yeah, that yeah. happens. When the Grateful Dead did their last summer, they did their final show here in Chicago where they did two shows over at Soldier Field. And the resale tickets were going for about 12000 a pop because people thought it would be their last opportunity to say the Grateful Dead. And then the Dead turned right around and toured with John Mayer. Um, which, to be fair, do you really want to go see The Grateful Dead with John Mayer? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. But still, um, the, the Dead turned around one year later and went back on tour, uh, completely defeating those people who spent $12,000 to see them at their final show, which is what it was advertised as heavily. And that's partly The Dead's fault. Uh, that's, But these ticket resellers are just killing concerts, aren't they? Because I know for me, like... Okay, we're going to go back to Kanye here. I'd like to see Kanye in October. He's going to be at the United Center here in Chicago. But because I only found out maybe a week after the tickets went on sale, only thing that's left is resale. And because those bots sold them, uh, you know, back of the United Center behind the stage is 300 bucks a ticket. Uh, and those tickets face value when the, when the bots bought them were 40 bucks. Yeah, there's um, Thrice played at the House of Blues in Chicago. And I bought tickets right away, and then the show ended up selling out. And um, my wife and I decided not to go. And like two days later, they, they announced that they were coming to Milwaukee, and it was going to be cheaper. So we went that route anyways. But I had like a really hard time selling the tickets because no one believed that I was selling them at face value. Yeah. And a lot of people like, – and I said, you know what? Just like – because they were all um, – uh, it was Will Call. So – Sound Rink said, you know, just give us the name one week before the show and we'll transfer it over. So, like, people were like, well, how do I know you're actually going to change it? I'm like, I will send you these emails. And they're like, why only face value? And I said, because I'm not, I can't go. Like, there's no sense in me jacking the price up on Thrice, which is like a, a mid-level band at best. Like, you know, it's not like Kanye, where if I got right. Kanye tickets and I couldn't go, would I try and sell them for a, a giant inflated price? No. But would I want to get a little more for it because I can? Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, and I think it's fair as a you know if you are a individual or even a business that ticket resells, I think a markup is is fair to an extent. I think it's expected to an extent. Um, mm -hmm. If you are someone who has great tickets and you can't go and you want to make a couple extra bucks off that, that's your prerogative. Um, but it gets problematic when these bots come in here and start taking you know ten thousand tickets to a show and start selling them for twenty times what they're worth. Uh, Brandon, have you ever ran into this as a concert goer? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> oh, okay. Ticket resale's not huge in Maine? No, nothing ever <laughs> sells out in Maine. I don't have to worry about it. I went and saw Pet Sounds like a month ago, and no, it wasn't even full, man. Um, I, I wanted to buy – he's going to be here in, in about three weeks on that same tour. He's at, he's at Chicago Theater. And the resale yep. tickets in the back row, because uh, you can still buy tickets face value, but um, they're pretty. They're also kind of in the back row. But the resale is going for two, three hundred bucks a ticket on fifty dollars tickets. Really, yeah. I paid eighty five for the floor. Was it so. was it worth it? Is this a show that if I can manage to get into it in three weeks, is it worth it? It, it was worth it. Blondie uh, Chaplin by himself is worth it. I love Brian. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see that show. I would love, love, love to see that show. That'd be cool. I'm looking, looking at Matt. He's like, nah. You, you don't want to go yeah. see old decrepit Brian Wilson? No. You would be amazed. I. Uh, it I'm was. Not, man, I'm not I, saying it wouldn't be good. Uh, Kiss is actually in in Green Bay tomorrow. Oh really? Yeah, and like 
acceptable tickets are like $140. And it's like, I'm like, I saw Kiss in 97. Like, I don't need to see this ever again. Yeah, you got them at a better time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and there are exceptions. Uh, I feel like I go to a, I, I am definitely the oddball out of the three of us where I go to very peculiar shows. I went to Willie Nelson last week because um, <laughs> I love Willie. And uh, I bought Willie's resale tickets the week of the show. And I was able to get them from a real person on StubHub who sold them for almost less than face value because they couldn't go to the show. So in that, How much? what? How much? Ooh, I paid. I so we were in. I bought three tickets, and they were in the first row of the second section, which is pretty good. You know, you don't have anyone in front of you, and at a Willie right. concert, everyone's sitting down, so it, it's <laughs> fine. Um, and uh, the tickets on sale for. Through the venue, we're about seventy a piece, and I paid about about fifty, about fifty really? fifty two a piece. So, I think it's not bad. So really for thirty dollars, um, in Presque Maine. <laughs> I love Willie. I love Willie. I uh, yeah, it, but it was worth it. Um, even though I you know even though I paid you know what one fifty for to go see Willie Nelson at eighty four. Um, <laughs> that's how old he is now. He was good, but my point is is that resale can benefit you. Um, but as a whole, I think more states need to do this. I think we need to start clamping down on these because it makes it hard to go see, uh, you know, fans like, like I know Dan or Matt, if you're, you know, your bands are slowly, you know, getting better and better and more and more fans all the time. Well, if you guys reach a day where you're filling, you know, concert halls of, of 10,000 people, I bet you guys want your fans to, you know, buy the tickets through the venue and because that's all the money you're getting anyway. Uh, buy them through the venue, buy them safely so you know they can actually go to the show and they're not counterfeit. And rather than having your fans go and spay, spend thousands and thousands of dollars extra to see you because some <laughs> installed a bot and they couldn't go see it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, Absolutely. so it's an interesting topic. We'll keep tabs on it here on the show. Uh, hopefully more states will start following that uh two more questions and then we'll wrap down with the show uh great we're right within an hour so that's perfect so i want to ask you guys about bootlegs and i want to ask you guys about archive.org now archive.org has recently put on a bunch of new music onto the service and it is music that is technically within the public domain uh even though some of it has been republished by labels at a later date for example i went on archive.org last night and I downloaded, and this is all legal. Hold on here. More great podcasting. Okay. Um, I went and I downloaded the full collection of Howlin' Wolf, the full collection of Charles Patton, uh, a pretty decent Hank Williams collection to add to the one I already have anyway, uh, a full collection of Django Reinhardt, of Lead Belly, and of Big Bill Brunzi. Now, obviously, those are all you know, old legends. These are guys recording in 1920 and before. Uh, but I could get that music all for free because it's in the public domain and I was able to go grab it. And then some of the record labels are contending with this saying, well, oh, well, we've republished collections of this music over the years. So technically we can make a copyright claim on this. What do you guys think? Should old music be available on archive.org? What do you think, Brandon? I think it should, especially Big Bill Brunzi, man. Yeah. You need to go. Yeah. Do you like him? Oh, yeah. All that stuff, man. I'll I'm send so it to you. All. I'll send you the link. Uh, yeah, you do can it. download like 300 of his songs. <laughs> man, you're making a face. <laughs> These guys are out of control. But no, I, you know, it's, 
what if you know after so much time goes by yeah it should be free should it not? who is really gonna make the money off that now but where do you draw the line uh is, is public domain that is, right so what if they re-release it does public domain start over that's the problem right now yeah the problem yeah. is that is that but then a, if you if if you put up the original recordings is that fine versus the remastered or the re-released recordings now Metallica reissued Master, uh, sorry, Red Lightning and Kill 'Em All remastered. They sound the same. They do not sound different to me. And now, I don't know. I'm someone who actually hasn't blown out their ears playing the drums for 20 years. Might be able to tell me otherwise, but they do not sound any different to me. So right. if I if I post the original Kill 'Em All from the early 80s, is that okay? But I can't post the remastered version. That's an interesting that- concept. Is that not different though? Where Metallica is still a living, performing band? Yeah, versus- I think Matt's just saying hypothetically if Metallica yeah. had been in public domain. Um, right. I guess my Even- my understanding would be if the label had reissued it back into copyright and remastered it, but they didn't reissue the original recordings, which are out of copyright. Those public domain recordings would be allowed up on something like archive.org, but you wouldn't be able to put the remastered up. Which I agree with that, and that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But are there are they not going to argue it? Because who doesn't want to make money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Question: Who is making money off of these older artists in remasters? Whoever stole the rights. You're so looking at uh, stuff like uh, what's that recording label? Um, American Highways. Those are the guys that have a lot of the a lot of the uh, copyright to Hank Williams and that sort of thing. So yeah. uh, the families. You know, we're still looking at the Williams family uh, capitalizing on his name. Um, I've, you know, I've met his granddaughter, and she's a wonderful performer, by the way. Holly Williams, go look her up; she's really great. But, um, you know, she, her family is still getting income from the Hank Williams discography. So I guess right. it is a weird gray area. But then you look at someone like Lead Belly, who was never actually signed to a label. Like Lead Belly recorded a bunch of weird off-kilter things and Lead Belly is like I mean if we want to go down a historical rabbit hole without Lead Belly we wouldn't have the Rolling Stones we we hell we wouldn't have Nirvana to an extent Kurt Cobain's biggest influence was Lead Belly so um I think it's cool these things are available and I hope that they stay available uh is this something that any of you would utilize it sounds like Brandon you might want to download them Matt do you care at all (laughs) I mean if there's something out there that I'd want I would totally take advantage of it right but Very cool. Like I, like I said earlier, my focus is always on new music. So That's true. Dan, do you have any penchant for older music? Is this something you would care about? Yeah, there was, yeah. Kind of the same Matt said. If there's something out there that I, I would want, yeah. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's cool it's available, and I hope that it continues to be available. And in regard to bootlegs, one thing that we're seeing more and more of is artists clamping down on bootlegging to varying degrees. You have bands like... The E Street Band with Springsteen, and you have Wilco, who released their soundboards officially. Or they say, hey, record us as much as we want. We do not care. But then you have other bands, for example, Bob Dylan, who is saying, do not record me at my shows. Don't even take a camera out. You're going to get prosecuted if we can find you on these bootlegs. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you? Because I'm a huge a connoisseur of bootlegs. I have thousands of them of just live acts all throughout the years. I love them and they're legal to have, but sometimes they're hard to get. Uh, that's tricky. 
you know, someone paid money to go in there and they just so happened to record it. And then they just so happened to give it to a bunch of or sell it to a bunch of people. So maybe that's a line, right? Maybe maybe is yeah. it is it an archival tool to to because here's like my argument. I have a I have a fantastic bootleg of Dylan playing in 1980 and it's like this wonderful piece of history because that was the bizarre year where he's like I'm going to I'm not going to be a Jew anymore. I'm going to do gospel. And uh, and he did gospel for a couple years, and it's a perfect recording of him doing the sermons on on stage and playing the gospel songs. And I never bought it. In fact, I haven't bought any of my bootlegs. But uh, for me, it's a piece of history, um, and that's what I love about it. I guess Matt, it's probably more problematic if people are profiting, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I have I have Metallica bootlegs, but they were they released them. Right. You know, they would get copies of, of bootlegs and then press them and release them. Now yeah. they're profiting, but it's theirs. Um, so my question would be, Brett, what format is that Dylan bootleg on? All digital. Yeah. Um, is it did? See, I, I I grew up with a lot of bootlegs. I had Nirvana bootlegs. I had all kinds, mm-hmm. but it was mine, and I didn't go about sharing it. You know, mm-hmm. again, the advent of technology being what it is, and streaming and digitizing all of your music. It makes all of that so much more accessible to everyone. Yeah, because you're right. Like, the original sorry. bootleg is by a is you have a cassette, you know. Right. I I feel like that's a bootleg itself is a, a personal thing. You know, I don't. I would never go out of my way to spread that around. So people that do that, I I guess I have a problem with that. That's but. interesting. That's very interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, I uh I have most of mine digitally because. Um, I subscribe to a bunch of different blogs that constantly post files up. Just like here's a here's a Grateful Dead. I don't like the Grateful Dead, but like here's a Grateful Dead show from 1981, or here's a Dylan show from '75, or Fleetwood Mac, or uh, Metallica, or whatever. They'll just post them all on this site, and I and I grab them, I put them in my folder. Uh, I have a lot of Lou Reed bootlegs. Big Lou Reed fan, and uh, that's a huge part of my music because I want to chronolog it. I want to be able to have this like Lou Reed recording the the year before he died. Um, I want to be able to have that in my library and know what he sounded like. Um, so, but there's also that very personal bootleg of someone coming in and recording it and then maybe giving it to a couple friends and it being more of a, a localized thing and not necessarily shared to millions of people online, which is what you're getting at. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I think that's very interesting. So would you guys be opposed to artists, um, uh, having rule, I mean, like, okay, would if you guys were artists and two of you are, would you let people pull out a recorder at your show or not? What's what would you, Brandon, if you're if you were in a band? I don't think I'd go the route of like the Eagles and be super uptight about it, but <laughs> I, I guess it would be okay. I, I you know, I'm not an artist, so I I don't have any personal attachment to any of that. I, you would want to ask those two, Matt. What about Matt? What do you is that something you care about? No, not at all. I, I like having videos of me playing. I like watching. It sounds really like narcissistic, but I like watching myself play. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. What about you, Dan? Are you cool? Are you cool with people recording your guys' shows, or is that something you wouldn't want? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely welcome that. I guess it's kind of one of those things, though. Where where do you draw the line, though? I guess like when you're not me, like when you're a big artist, you know, 
that's more of a concern, I think, when people are making, you know, that going back to them making money off of that kind of stuff. Right. I don't think anyone so, wants a fan sitting in the front row with like 20 different microphones. <laughs> just f- yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my question to now, Dan, you guys are ultimately an, incredib- an incredibly acrobatic live band. So if, if it was between someone not going to see your band based solely on your music or them seeing a video of you playing live and being like, I'm going to go see these guys because they're fun as to watch live. Now, oh. would you be fine with that if someone was like, you got to watch this video of these guys because they're entertaining as hell? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, I have plenty of friends that come out to our shows that they're not metal fans at all, but they enjoy the show because it's not a group of guys just standing there, you know. <laughs> Are you going through Would- Chicago? Not this time, no. Ah, uh, well, next soon, time. soon though. We played there in May. Oh man, where'd you play? At Reggie's. Oh, right on Reggie's. Reggie's is right down the street from me. Oh, there you go. All yeah. right, very cool. Well, um, what, do you, what do you guys think of fans as a whole these days? Where it was double horns and actually paying attention to everyone's People staring at their phone now. Yeah. yeah, everyone's doing that. I hate it. <sighs> Terrible. <laughs> It's I cool even curse myself when I pull like my phone. phone out. Right. You're just at the out. show. You don't need Never. to. Wouldn't you rather live in the moment for once and just enjoy what you paid to see? You know, and I, I agree with what you're saying, Brandon, because I, I don't really, I'll take like one picture of a band and that's right. simply to say I was here. Yeah, that's exactly um, where I'm at too. I don't record video, but I will text in between songs. You know, if my wife didn't go to the show with me and she sent me a message, yeah. I will read it and I will respond to it. I'm not going to stare at my phone the entire time. So there's there's a line because on Rounds of Breakdowns, we've talked about David Draymond and Corey uh, Taylor and they're, they're berating fans for being on their phones or whatever. Um, just because I'm looking at my phone doesn't mean I'm not enjoying what you're doing or I'm not interested in what you're doing. Yeah, just, I think it's like, are you the person who's going to watch the entire concert through a four-inch screen? I think that is kind of the problem. Uh, yeah. Because I've seen this happen numerous times. Most recently, I was at a Chrissy Hind concert. Uh, see, I go to weird concerts. Um, Chrissy a, Hind was the was the well, front man of the Pretenders, and uh, and she stopped a song halfway through, and she's like, "What are you doing? Why why are you record? There's a there's a photographer next to me." He's going to put all these photos on his Facebook afterward. You don't need to take a hundred photos of me. Uh, and I think that's the line is like, are you going to exclusively be on it the whole time? Or are you going to, you know, just like take a memento? It's a, it's different. Yeah, you the, know? the first time we saw City in Color down in Milwaukee, there was uh, 90% of the crowd just the whole time with their phones up. And during a song, uh, Dallas Green was like, hey, everyone put your phones down and just enjoy this song for once. And like everyone cheered and I'm like, you hypocritical. Cause I said, you're the ones that are doing it. And all of a sudden he says, don't do it. And you're like, yeah, don't do it guys. I hate people. Let's transition that into our final segment real quick. We're clocking in right at an hour and a half here, which is always about what the round table is. I would love to ask you guys go around the table and say, is there any new music that has come out that you are interested in that you would recommend the people? Have you been to any shows recently that are good that may be going on tour that other people can check them out? Uh, what is on your guys' music palette in regards to new music? So I'll start with you, Brandon. Can new, eh, I don't know about new, but or at least like something you've seen recently, I, maybe. I, Recently gotten into the shouting matches. 
uh, Big Wreck. And what, what type of music is this? Shouting Matches is the lead singer of Bon Iver, to give you an idea of what kind of oh, music okay. that is. And Big Wreck is very Soundgarden. They've okay. been around since that grunge era. It's a lot like that. I'm really into those two bands right now. And as always, Suitcase Junket, which I mentioned before. They're awesome. Yeah, that, well, that, that dude's awesome, rather. Did you check that out? Yeah, he was he's on great. his oh, last Wednesday, but I saw him last week. Yeah, it's like and, a Shaky uh, Graves type thing. Yeah, it's great every time, man. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's great music. Um, really cool. So what do you got going, Matt? Is there any new music that, that you, or something that's coming out even, something you're looking forward to? Yeah, um, the new Russian Circles came out a couple days ago. That's really good. Um, new Norma Jean in September. New Dillinger Escape Plans coming out. Uh, I want to say there's one or two other. Um, As Cities Burn released, Come Now Sleep. Well, re-released, re-re-re-released, as, uh, Come Now Sleep on vinyl. And that's stuck in Jersey City right now. That should be in my house yesterday. But um, <laughs> yeah, that and just a bunch of shows coming up. I'm looking forward to. Right on. Very cool. And what about you, Dan? Outside of your uh, outside of your band, is there any new music or new shows that you're interested in? Um, the new Despised Icon is a, is a favorite that just came out a couple weeks ago. And I'm really anticipating some new Chromio, if you've ever heard of Chromio. Oh, my God. You listen yeah. to Chromio? My God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't, I don't know when they have a new album coming out, but I'm really into them. I don't know if you guys have heard of them or not. <sighs> I think I just lost some respect for you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. All right, right on. And uh, for me, closing it out. I'm very excited for the Wilco record again. I think that's going to be a good record. Wilco is very experimental in the work that they do, um, whether it be folk or blues or rock and roll or, or everything in between. They're always doing something interesting. I recently discovered that one of my favorite vocalists of all time, Dolores O'Riordan, which is the vocalist for the Cranberries um, band in the 90s that I am a big fan of. I love the Cranberries. She is now fronting a brand new outfit I knew nothing about, and it's her, a like European DJ and the bassist from uh, who's the bassist from great podcasting again, right here. (laughs) I'm trying to remember what the guy's from. Uh, Maybe he's from, is he from, is it weird that I think she's super sexy? Yes. She, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she still looks good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Andy Rourke, who is that guy? And does that ring any bells, guys? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going to Google here. The, the, the bassist and songwriter for this band, Andy Rourke of the Smiths. There we go. So the bassist of the Smiths, the singer of the Cranberries, and some random European guy. It's actually really cool. The new album is called Dark, uh, or rather the band is called Dark, and the new album is called Science Agrees. They put out a couple singles. It's coming out in October, and... Uh, I think it's really cool. It's not the kind of thing I typically listen to, but I really love her as a vocalist, so I'm always down to see her do new things and not get kicked off airplanes threatening the TSA, which is what happened to her about a month ago. Um, So hopefully Dolores is doing better up there. Uh, But to close out the jukebox, one more time around the horn, just where can we find you guys? What new projects are you doing? Uh, That sort of thing. Brandon, where can people find you? Uh, You can find us at inkedgeekstudios.com. That is hard to say. (laughs) IGstudios.com <laughs> for all shows, and you can find me and Nate there. We just started doing uh, IG photography. I do a lot of photography on the side, so we're going to start putting prints up. Nice. Uh, I think Peter Fisher, do you guys know Peter Fisher? Yeah. 
yeah, he's going to come in on that with us. So look forward to that. Right on. Yeah. Uh, Peter Fisher, if people want to catch him as well, he's going to be on Geek Cinema Society in a couple of weeks. All right, Matt, what are you doing? Oh, boy. Um, I do Podcasts of Terror, Weird World Weekly on uh, Galactic Netcasts. You can find those at GNCast.com. Uh, rounds of Breakdowns on Blazing Caribou, which is BlazingCaribouStudios.com. Uh, and then also my band, Drawn the Lifeguard, is going to be in the studio recording a four-song EP this weekend. That is awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. When you have that done, please send that over to me because I would love to play something like that on the jukebox. I don't play enough of that kind of music. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the Hope Star will have it Tuesday. I think they do mixing and mastering in-house. So Right on. Well, I would love to help promote you guys, get people more listening to that type of music. That's what the jukebox is about. And Dan, what do you got going on? Uh, where can people find you online? That sort of thing. Uh, uh Facebook and Instagram are two of the main ones that we use. So Reaping Asmodea on both of them. Right on. All right. And people can catch you on tour. Relative, are you going next week? You said, uh, yeah, we leave on the 17th, so the 17th to the 28th of August. So, very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna put your band in the show notes along with the tour dates that way listeners can check that out. And if it's something they're interested in and they're local to you when you're around, uh, go check out Dan and his band. I've seen you drum online, it is very, very impressive, and I think your band. I would love to go see it sometime. So please come through Chicago at some point. Uh, that's going to do it for myself. That's going to do it for Brandon, for Matt, and for Dan. This has been the Jukebox Podcast. You can find us on jukeboxpodcast.com. You can rate us on iTunes. As always, you can send emails to uh, jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com. The main episode for the month, as scheduled, will come out on August 25th. Thanks so much, everybody. The Jukebox Podcast is available on all platforms and podcast directories. Visit the show at jukeboxpodcast.com for more content or email us at thejukeboxpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the Jukebox Podcast, please consider rating it on the iTunes Store or in the podcast directory of your choice.